Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to another episode. Now, instead of having a guest today, due to the joys of technology, I'm going to be releasing those episodes in the next season. So you are stuck with me for the next two episodes. But... I was inspired to talk to you all about the Criolla varieties of South and Latin America. Now, I'm doing a masterclass on how the Spanish conquistadores, they brought across the first Vitus vinifera vines to the Americas. Wine production in South America actually started in Peru with the first vineyards being planted in 1539. So I'm going to be telling the story of these vines later this week at this amazing restaurant in London that is close to my heart because it serves the tastiest Latin American food. It's all about the Latin ritmo, the Latin rhymes, the rhythms, the Latin artwork. This place is called Paladar, if you're ever near Elephant and Castle in London. I love their plantain crisps with a big bowl of guacamole. Oh, and they do purple corn churros. Mm. Oh. And it, well, actually, even better, I shouldn't be talking about food. Their wine list is 100% Latin American. And if after this episode, you want to do some exploring and shopping, perhaps, you can buy all of their wines in their wine shop. So they have, for instance, I'm going to be talking about one of the muscatels from eight-year-old vines from producer Masoc Frères, who are all about reviving ancient Criolla varieties in Chile. They also sell a wine from Maturana Wines with the grape variety San Francisco. I'm not even going to talk about this grape variety in this podcast, but for you guys to know, it is known as Negramol in the Canary Islands and Tinta Negramol in Madeira. And this too is old vines from at least 70 years old and dry farmed. There's also Pais Viejo from Bouchon and their vines are well over 100 years old, dry farmed, bush vines. But before I get too excited, uh, before we get into the details of what are Criolla varieties, I want to go to my wine of the week. Now, I haven't done a wine of the week in ages, so it is about time. And I wanted to try a wine that many of you will be able to get your hands on. So this is from the producer Torres in Chile. I've spoken about them several times on my podcast. Now, originally they are from Spain. They were one of the first foreign companies to invest in Chile and bring across certain modern day winemaking techniques that really furthered the reputation for quality Chilean wines. So this is a winery you do want to know about. Now, I mentioned them again later in the podcast as they really have done loads of research and development with the Pais grape variety. Now I'm going to talk about Pais in a lot more detail, its history, its synonyms and where it grows. But this Pais is a Chilean variety that you must 
try. And with Torres, they have been working with many of the vineyard growers to pay them a fair price for the grapes, help them improve quality, and to develop the poorer communities of the south of Chile. So the wine I have is called Digno. 2020 it is just 8.99 from Waitrose and on the front label it says we strive to honour those who work with grace to make sure everyone is treated justly and make wine that is truly dignified so the idea of this wine is about the community of wine growers who have helped to make this wine. And I love that so much. We all need to be drinking wine where we can feel a deeper connection to the earth and to people. So to try this wine. Mm, it is juicy, juicy on the nose with lots of red fruits. You know, it smells warm and Mediterranean and spicy. So there's raspberries and maybe some red plums. And even something like wet earth and maybe a little bit of white pepper also. Mm. Body is light with super light tannins. There is good fruit concentration mid-core. It's not very complicated, but it's just, it's just pretty and it's fruity. Mm. Okay, this is a surprise. This reminds me of a young Etna Rosso from Sicily, because it has this like slight mineral finish and super soft, dusty tannins. Mm. This is a perfect wine to be chilled down, absolutely. Pais actually is quite a good grape variety for that anyway. A very delicious summer sipper. This is a barbecue wine for sure. The price point is fab. A decent length. I really like this. Right, well, I hope that has got you in the mood to learn a little bit more about this variety and the whole story and how it arrived. So, may I start with the story of arrival to the Americas? How did the Criollo varieties arrive in South America, in Latin America? So... In the late 15th and the 16th century, this is when the Spanish explorers, led by Christopher Columbus and later by other conquistadores, embarked on voyages across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, these expeditions, they were aimed to discover new lands and establish colonies and expand the Spanish influence and wealth. But the first wave, it came from the Spanish, but as time went on, influences from other countries as well, such as Italy, Portugal and Germany, they did follow. But it was certainly the French influence in the 1800s, which brought across primarily the Bordeaux varieties, such as Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Carmenere, Tannet, and then the white Sauvignon Blanc, that actually changed the direction for South America and the reputation for its wines, which is why the Criollo varieties have been pushed so much further into the background, so so many wine lovers aren't even aware of them. 
So for the last century, the juice for these Criolla varieties has just sadly turned up in bulk wine, or it's been served as jug wines, it's made and drunk simply by the farmers who have in a very humble setting produced the wines to drink simply and only with their family and friends, and nothing more. So, what is Criolla, when we talk about the term Criolla, what are these grapes or varieties? So, it's not referring to one specific grape variety. In fact, it's actually used to describe a group of grape varieties that you're going to find in South America typically. So, it describes the grapes with local origins and that they are known for how they have adapted to their very specific diverse climates and their soils of the region. So the term criolla itself is derived from the Spanish word criollo, which if you look up in the dictionary, as I have, (laughs) you will see it means a person born in Spanish America, but of European, usually Spanish ancestry, or a domestic animal of any breed developed in Latin America. And so basically the term criolla, it can be used for food, it can be used for people, for music, and of course for grapes. And so when the Spanish began colonizing Latin America in the 1500s and the 1600s, they started planting vines that was the spread of these criolla varieties. Now, before talking about the most well-known of these founding varieties, basically, I want to explain why criolla grape varieties have a real historic significance in South American winemaking. So, their very existence is associated with the tradition traditions, traditional winemaking practices. And as you look back over the centuries and you see how deeply embodied they are to each country's culture, you start realising that Criolla grapes, they may, well, they definitely don't have the same level of recognition as some of the more globally famous grape varieties. However, with the fact that they offer this distinct sense of place and they contribute to the vibrant diversity of wines found in the region. Many of these Criolla varieties, they are finally seeing a real comeback, which is very, very exciting. Now, there are also vines that are documented as being well over 200 years old, And this in itself is worthy of a little bit of attention. Criolla varieties, they actually do tend naturally to be higher yielding in nature. Hence why they were chosen to be planted many centuries ago. As the Spanish didn't necessarily care for quality, they were, well, they were just thirsty. (laughs) But as the vines have got older, the yields have been controlled and they can produce wines with presence with nuances and combined with the understanding of modern day winemaking techniques they can now really enhance and they can highlight each variety's special characteristics. 
Now, you might find many grapes using the name Criolla. For example, in Argentina, one popular Criolla grape variety is known as Criolla Grande or Uva Criolla. It is widely planted and it's used to produce everyday table wines with light and fruity flavours and it's sometimes a little bit floral. For example, in Peru, you find the Criolla Parda grape, which is sometimes referred to as Quebranta, and it's used for the production of Pisco, which is their grape brandy that's an essential component of Peruvian culture and cuisine. But I want to talk about Pais. Pais actually in Spanish translates to country. This is a great variety that you need to know about. So, of the Criolla varieties, this is the grape variety most planted across the Americas, and it is known as, originally, the grape variety Listan Prieto. So, the Spanish grape variety originally came from the wine region Castilla-La Mancha. So, that was its home. However, you actually can't find this variety there any longer. You can, however, find a little under 2,000 hectares of Listan Prieto in the Canary Islands, but it certainly doesn't get the limelight over there, and you'll often find that it's blended. However, in the Americas, not only has it really spread its wings, it's known as Pais in Chile, Criolla Chica in Argentina and Mission in California. But actually in both Chile and Argentina, you will find forgotten old bush vines. They've been left to their own devices, 100, 200, maybe 300 years old. You can find this variety in Mexico and in Peru. Actually there, it's often called Negra Criolla. They often use it for their local spirit, Pisco, as I've mentioned already. And in Bolivia, they call this grape variety Misionera. So there are many different names for this grape, but that also really demonstrates its significance. So fun fact, in 1833, it was recorded that 90% of the grape plantings across Chile and Argentina were in fact this one. Now, the amazing thing about this variety is it seems to be pretty hardcore it can handle being out in the vineyard no problem and doesn't ask a lot of a vineyard team. Even as it ages, it still seems quite generous in its ability to produce decent enough yields. It is disease resistant. It's pushed its roots down so deep that irrigation isn't needed. Now, you will find the biggest production for this grape variety coming from Chile in wine regions such as Maule, Itata and Biobio Valley. And although most are coming from small producers, there are big wineries such as Torres that make wines with this grape. So you should look out for Reserva de Pueblo País. That's won several awards and is worth trying and certainly easier to find than, than some others. And they also make a sparkling wine from País. It's called Santa Digna Estelado Rosé. So if you're wondering what pais tastes like, it is typically light to medium bodied and often people will compare it with Gamay, so the grape variety from Beaujolais. I personally would say 
it's the rock star version of Beaujolais. So it's Gamay with a mohawk. <laughs> it has low to moderate tannins, but it really can be quite rustic. That's what needs to be tamed. But this wine, it really can make for easy drinking if done right. And it can be chilled down. So it's a great summer sipper. Now also, as many of the plantings are heading further down south in the country of Chile, as an example, with slightly lower temperatures, you will find that the wines will have lower alcohol levels. The grapes are thin-skinned and the wine is typically fresh and fruity. It has flavours of red berries and cherries. It can be sometimes a little herbal or with floral notes. Now, some winemakers may use carbonic maceration so that's the fermentation within the whole berry as a way to enhance the fruity and then the easy drinking qualities of the wine. I love pies so if you can find yourself a bottle it's perfect for this summer and yeah put it in the fridge for 30 minutes to 45 minutes and it's going to be delicious. So I want to get on to a white grape variety, which is super significant in Argentina. And you may have heard of this one. This probably is actually the most well-known of all of the Criollo varieties, and that is Torontes. So with time and left to nature, Grapes can get a little bit connected and natural crossings happen. And the most important and, in my opinion, significant has been Torontes. So, as I mentioned, it's a white grape variety whose true birthplace is that of Argentina. So now the story of Torontes, if you want to get into the nitty gritty, is slightly more complex than actually meets the eye, as there is, in fact, three different types of Torontes. And there's also Torontel, which even many winemakers have a difference of opinion on kind of where it came from, what was the crossing. So focusing on Torontes, there's three different varieties. There's Torontes Riojano, Torontes San Juanino and Torontes Mendocino. The most planted and considered best quality is Torontes Riojano. Now, this is originally from La Rioja region in Argentina and the variety that is most planted in Salta. Now, this is where you get some of the highest altitude plantings and some of the most expressive versions. But there is, of course, the lovely ones coming out of Mendoza too. You may not be surprised then that Torontes San Juanino originally from San Juan region, which is where about 90% of the plantings of this grape can be found. And Torontes Mendocino, which really is considered the worst of the three, is supposed to have come from Mendoza. However, there's very little of this variety found there now. Now, in terms of the story of Torontes, it was Criolla Chica, so or Pais, or Listan Prieto, whichever name you want to call it. 
that came first to the Americas along with Muscatel de Alejandria, and in many places they were planted in the same vineyards. This is where the natural crossings have happened, and the family of Torontes was born. So both the Riojano and San Juanino versions are separate crossings of these two mentioned varieties. However, the Torontes Mendocino is a crossing of Muscatel, Alejandria, and an unknown parent. Now, Torontes in general accounts for a third of all of the white wine vineyards planted in Argentina. This is the white grape of Argentina. Now, I already touched on the wine region Salta. This is very often thought about as the best place to find Torontes. The vineyards are up to 3,000 metres above sea level. They're very extreme. The best wines often tend to come from Café Yate wine region within Salta. And there you're going to find some great diurnal ranges. It's desert-like conditions and you get great freshness in the grapes. Now, in terms of flavor profile, oh my gosh, these are aromatic wines. They're super floral. So think jasmine and rose and there might be orange and peach. It's no surprise with Muscatel de Alejandria as one of its parents that it does have these muscat-like aromas. It is a light to medium bodied wine. It has medium alcohol. Now, Torontes loves being planted in high altitude locations, as I mentioned, with those cooler temperatures, with the higher diurnal ranges. And this means that the grape variety actually retains much higher acidity, helping the wine to taste much fresher as actually naturally the acidity levels aren't so high. This is also why Torontes Riojano is used most because it is the freshest, it has the highest acidity, helping it to be the best quality. Now, outside of Argentina, if you cross over to the Andes into Chile, you may find them calling these varieties Muscatel de Austria or maybe, this is where it gets <laughs> awkward, they might call it Torrentel. Now, from doing some digging, Torrentel appears to equally be another separate crossing of Crioja Chica and Muscatel Alejandria, but it's not quite the same variety as Torrentes Riojano. But that's still an argument to be disputed. I hope you're still with me. It's also worth pointing out that you can find Torrontes grapes in Spain. And these are genetically completely different varieties to those in Argentina. So just put them aside. The wonderful joy of wine. Right, on to Muscatel de Alejandria, so you can understand this variety a little bit more. This is a grape variety that is part of the Muscat or Muscato family. And looking at DNA analysis, Muscatel de Alejandria or Muscat of Alexandria is one of the oldest grapevines anywhere in the world. It is a natural crossing of Muscat Blanc à Petit Grand, which you can find in Chile. It's called Frontignan but very, very little of that grows now. And it was crossed with Axina de Tres B. 
Bias, which is apparently a black grape variety that makes table wine and is found still in Sardinia. And whilst we are talking about islands, this grape has many different synonyms. If you ever hear people talking of Zibibo in Sicily, this is the same grape. So this is a grape that likes the dry, warm weather of Mediterranean climates. And although many people expect this wine to be sweet due to its very high sugar levels, it can be dry. It can also make sparkling and fortified. And in Chile, for instance, they use it for Pisco. It does often play second fiddle to Muscat Blanc a Petit Grain because it does have a slightly less grapey nature than its parent grape, but you're going to find it has all these floral aromas and orange and honey, honeysuckle and apricot notes. It has medium acidity and a light body generally. Now, fun fact, this variety is the most planted grape in Bolivia. And if you're ever lucky enough to find a bottle, this is supposed to be where you can get the really good stuff as they have loads of old vines there. So we're talking 100, 200 years old. And you can even find the vines wrapped around trees. How magical. Now, there are larger plantings also in Peru, in Chile, in Argentina, Itata is the wine region in Chile where the grape has found its home, whereas in Argentina, its home is San Juan. So I thought it'd be nice to discuss some of the other lesser known Criolla varieties just for you to know. And there's one called Cerveza, which you can find in Argentina. This is a natural crossing that came from Muscatel de Alejandria, with Listan Prieto. And it's interesting that there are as many plantings of Cereza in Argentina as there are vines in Burgundy, for example. So nearly 27,000 hectares of this grape. So it is second only to Malbec. It is a pink-skinned grape, doesn't produce wines of much colour. So you're going to find either white wines made from it or a pale rosé. The wines are light, they're fruity, a little bit floral. This is a grape that can handle saline soils and dry desert-like climates, but it ripens pretty unevenly. So it can't be left on the skins for too long as it then adds a bit of a bitter taste. But it has high yields and it doesn't take much work out in the vineyard. So it can be ideal for bulk wine production. Many vineyards of this variety are being replaced, but the majority will be found in Mendoza or San Juan. And whilst we are on the subject of Muscatel, there is also Muscatel Rosado, which is a pink-skinned variety again, mostly found in Mendoza, Argentina. Then there is Albija. This is Palomino Fino, or as they call it in the Canary Islands, Listan Blanco. And this makes sense that it is planted in South America, as Christopher Columbus actually set sail from Jerez in Andalusia, Spain, where sherry is produced using Palomino Fino as the star grape variety. So, of course, he brought some with him. Now, this variety can handle saline soils, and it's much more about texture than it is aromatics. You'll find most plantings of this grape variety in Peru. But if you want to know loads about this grape variety in general, I did a whole podcast 
on this great variety with Palomino's biggest fan in the world, wine writer Christina Rasmussen. So go back to episode 132. Now, another variety worth talking about is Pedro Jimenez. It could be spelt with a J or an X, or in Argentina, they might call it Pedro Gimenex or Gimenex. It is actually one of the most planted varieties across South America, but again, no one's talking about it. And it is not the same as Pedro Gimenex in Spain. It is yet another crossing of Muscatel de Alejandria with Criolla Chica. So, this makes it a sibling of Torontes, of Ceresa, and I haven't even touched on the great variety Criolla Grande. This is a white variety and it's often used for bulk as it is quite a neutral grape. And then, should you want to explore more, you have Quebranta growing in Peru and Vosjoqueña growing in Bolivia. I did a Bolivian podcast, that's episode 72, if you fancy knowing a little bit more about this lesser known wine growing region. Now, if you want to investigate some regions to explore these varieties, there is a whole movement happening in Chile, starting from the lower central region going down into the south. So, Maule, Itata and Bio Bio. And if you prefer your wines on the more natural side or orange wines, so grapes that have had more time in contact with the skins, these grape varieties lend itself to a very hands-off approach due to being so well established in the vineyards. And with the growers and farmers who have owned the land, many of them have always produced their wines in little garages without any modern winemaking equipment and using native oak barrels such as Rauli in Chile, for example. So sometimes moving forward can include looking back into the past. And so even the bigger wineries have embraced these artisanal approaches when vinifying the Criolla grapes. They may destem the wines with zaranda, which is a bamboo screen. They may use tinajas, which is the Spanish word for amphora, so clay pots. I've already mentioned the Raule oak casks, so this is a native wood from Chile. And if you ever see pipeño, on the label. This will either be a wine made from Pice grapes or a field blend of Criolla dominant grapes. And this is wine made with the Zaranda. It will be probably crushed by feet, fermented in the Raule Beechwood open top vats. Or if the winemaker is more modern, they might cheat here and use a slightly less romantic plastic bin or whatever other vessel that they have. And then the wine is aged in pipas, hence the name. So this is a large vat that is pipe shaped. It's made from the native Raule wood and it's just left there for a very short period of time and it's bottled. So typically these wines are made to drink young. They're not really very complicated. They're very often considered table wines. And the idea is these are hands-off. They don't have sulfur additions typically. So this is natural wine. Should be juicy. It should be refreshing. It probably would be a bit rustic. And yeah, it might have a bit of a natural funk to it as well. Now, there are over 150 different varieties of Criolla varieties that have been identified so far, and I am sure that more will surface. 
But for now, you certainly know about the most planted ones. Now, I've searched and found a beautiful quote on old vines who I can't attribute it to anyone, but it says, In the gnarled and weathered branches of old vines lies the soul of the vineyard, weaving a tapestry of flavours that tell a tale of resilience and time. And seeing as I've touched on so many old vines today, I'm also going to carry on the conversation next week where I will talk to you specifically about old vines, my trip to Campania and Feude de San Gregorio with the Old Vine Conference and why we need to look after these rare gems and custodians of history. Now, may you find a new wine to treasure this week. Try a wine unexplored and taste pure happiness. And whilst you are feeling those joyful wine vibes, please don't forget to leave me a review or a rating on your podcast app if it allows. This is the best way to help promote the podcast to others. But of course, word of mouth also works. So share the podcast on your socials, tell a wine loving friend and I will see you back here next Monday. Cheers to you.